Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, this week the sports world stopped for a little bit, literally. Yeah, it's continuing to stop. Yeah. But you know, you know what? The great thing about what we do is that, that we can kind of take people away from all the stuff that they have to deal with in their their lives. So sports is always one of the great things to to get away from all the craziness, and now sports is kind of wrapped in it. Yeah. But I think we got a good show today to kind of take people's mind off of it. Yeah, I mean, bit. we'll put things in the context of what's yeah. going on, but we're not going to try And don't to... set me off. Okay. okay. I'm just warning you. I may have to just start the show <laughs> and go there. As we... No, no. Wait. W- no, wait. No, we're going to wait. We're going to talk right. baseball in a minute with Jonathan Mayo. Yeah. But... I was preparing to start the show this week because Rutgers was going to play Michigan yesterday. And lose? No. Yeah. Not, not definitely. In fact, you will never I'm know. only going on based on the last game that they played against each other, which happened to be in the rack at Rutgers, and which happened to be Michigan winning, which led to the fight song for Michigan being played. So I was anticipating a win, yeah. finally, and I was going to play the fight song, and I have now missed out on that opportunity to do that with you. Yeah, uh, I'll have to play it to myself in the car. But, thinking don't, but about don't worry, the NCAA's got a plan. <laughs> so you are not thrilled. You're, re- you're really <laughs> going to bring this up now? I'm, I'm tempted to. All right, do I, should I go. wait no, and, go. and make you stew on it? Or? I don't really care. Be- okay, so the NCAA was think- is thinking about releasing a bracket with the if you could knock the grin off your face while you're saying it at least teams yeah basically letting me know that Rutgers was going to make the tourney correct that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard hold the, there why I've got Jonathan Mayo ready to talk oh, to now you. he's I on. wanted so to you literally it. lit the match and yes. said now let it smolder yes. for the next I okay just want you. you to simmer Jonathan Mayo I have just uh, lit a match with Jeff because. He is anti-participation trophy, and I let him know that the NCAA tournament uh, was thinking about releasing a field of 68 so I can know that Rutgers made the tournament uh, for my own edification as a fan who's never seen my team make the tournament. So we're going to let Jeff stew on that a little bit and welcome you back from Arizona and your travels around spring training and ask you how you're doing out there. I'm happy that I got home, and Uh, uh, we'll be staying inside for quite some time. Um, But I'm good. I, I am sure. Let, let's talk about you were out in Arizona. I think I last saw you at Padres camp earlier. You were at Astros camp. I know you've been all around. What was the feeling before everything happened? Because we're still going to try to you know keep the focus on baseball and, and talk. And yeah. we'll let everything else go around outside of that, not to minimize it, but just to kind of keep our focus. So what was it like in those camps, the excitement leading up to everything that you saw? Uh, the excitement for the season, you mean? Yeah. God, it's, it's funny. It's been clouded by everything. That it's, it's almost hard to. I mean, listen. One of the best things about spring training is always that in every camp, there's a certain sense of of optimism. You know, even even teams that don't necessarily think they're going to compete for you know for a division title, like on on the big league side, the the hope is that they're going to take a step forward. So. You know, maybe like so. I was in Marlins camp, for instance, and there was a much different vibe there than there was, you know, the last time I was there, which I think was two years prior. I mean, the farm system is much stronger. They've got a lot more talent, especially uh, and and now reaching the upper levels. So I like I think they feel that they're they're starting to turn a corner where some of those young players will help them win games uh, at, at the major league level. So uh, it's one of the best things about this time of year. Typically, is that 
you know, it's cliche, but uh, that that certain optimism, you know, because you're starting fresh, uh, is 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 a fun thing to to go and check out in each camp. Okay, well, one one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on the show is you do one of the things that excites us most in the spring, which is come out with your your top thirty lists of prospects. So you just mm-hmm. mentioned the the Marlins uh, camp. The the prospect that most of us know about in Philadelphia is Sixto Sanchez, and the and the Phillies had to make a decision, we believe, a couple of years ago with JT Realmuto of whether they were going to trade Sixto in that deal or trade Spencer Howard in that deal. First of all, so what have you seen with Sixto, and and then rolling into the Phillies, what do you see with Spencer Howard? And if you had to make that call again, which call would you make? Man, good question, Jeff. <laughs> that is a good question. I mean, I think because it's, you know, they're not even like, they're only separated by 12 spots in our top 100 at this point. Um, I think, you know, the interesting thing is with both of them, the, you know, there's that small question of can they be starters uh, for different reasons, uh, you know, durability. Uh, command, uh, depending on who you're talking about. I think that you could flip a coin, you know, and you could probably poll people internally and externally, and they might like one guy more than the other. What, um, what did you see out of got, Sixto down there uh, when you were I, at Marlins I didn't camp? See, I didn't. I mean, I, I was in Marlins camp for a day. I didn't, oh, gotcha. I didn't see him throw. Um, so, yeah, what, I mean, what I do is I bounce around. So I'm in a different camp each day. Um, and you know, I didn't even really talk to anybody about Sixto because he's spending so much time on the big league side and our, our really good beat reporter, Joe Frasara had written plenty about him. So I kind of talked about other guys in Marlins camp, but, uh, you know, listen, we all know what Sixto Sanchez can do. The stuff is electric. Um, you know, he has the command to be a starter. I think the question has always been durability and, I think last year he took a, a step forward in that regard. Um, and we'll have to see if he can continue to, you know, to hold up over the course of a long season. And you don't need as much as you used to, right? He could get to the big leagues and then regular season. And if he goes, you know, throws 150 innings, that's fine, right? Five innings per 30 starts. Oh, no. That's don't say he's going to be an opener. <laughs> well, no, but like <laughs> these days, there aren't that many starters that you count on to go more than five innings regularly, and I'm, you know, especially as he eases in. I think, you know, uh, he's, he's very strong and athletic, and as is Howard. And so I, I think that he'll be fine. It's just that there have been little things that have knocked him off the mound, so people start because he's not the biggest guy in the world to worry about durability. And with Spencer Howard, it's a question of command. It's not a question of stuff is ridiculous. And he's got more than enough, a deep enough repertoire for him to be able to, uh, to be a starter, but you know, can he become efficient enough where he can get through even five innings regularly, let alone six or seven. We saw him make his debut the other day, uh, pitched, you know, reasonably well. You saw a little bit of his repertoire. You have him as having the best fastball and change up in the Philly system. We've talked to him a few times in the past. His mental makeup seems the, exactly what you'd want for a pitcher. What do you expect out of him, assuming that he answers those questions about ability and durability? Well, I mean, he's got it's it's front of the rotation kind of stuff, and he may end up with three plus pitches when all is said and done. Um, 
you know, so it's really just a question of his ability to continue to, you know, throw enough strikes so he, you know, so he can stay on the mound, uh, you know, and stay in, in deep in the games. Um, you know, like for instance, I saw him in the Arizona Fall League and he was as dynamic as any pitcher in, in the league, but he, his walk rate was like, it was not great, you know, and it was shorter, shorter outings anyway, because it's the Fall League. But, you know, the, he, he does need to answer that last question, I think, before, uh, and I know he had the injury last year, but I think overall I'm not, I'm not as concerned. He's really, he's strongly built. I think he's going to be okay, but he needs to, he needs to throw, you know, more strikes more consistently for him to, to reach that ceiling. Well, we, we've made it a couple minutes without mentioning the guy that everybody wants to know about, which is Alec Bohm. Um, Alec has kind of made it quickly through the last, last uh, couple um, levels, and people in, in Philadelphia aren't exactly patient. When can they no, expect not this? here, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> when can they expect to see Alec Bowman? What have you seen out of him that that had him ranked as the the Phillies' number one prospect this year? Uh, so, I, I think it, you know to the first part of the question. I think it could be at some point this season. Uh, he's an advanced enough hitter. You know, will he come in and dominate right out of the gate? I, maybe not, but I think he'll more than hold his own just because his approach is so good. I think what's stood out for him, you know, he's another guy I saw in the fall league and, and I wanted to like, not like him that much as a player, just cause you know, not, not that he didn't deserve to be taken at the top of the draft, given that draft class, but he seemed sort of like a safe college hitter, you know, good approach, kind of a boring, but um, one, the power has shown up uh, a little more quickly because uh, that was one question, because he was kind of a hit-over-power guy, even with his size. Everyone knew it was there, but he started to tap into it. But like everything in the fall league he hit was hard. I felt like I saw him numerous times, and it was just consistent hard contact. He can drive the ball to all fields. Um, you know, where he plays defensively, we'll see. You know, the Phillies are convinced he's a third baseman. Yeah, you had like him listed base. at first or third. I found that interesting, actually. Right. Well, because um, you know he got some time at first base in the fall league, mostly because that's where they were they were at bats. And I think they're going to continue to have him do that just to um, provide some flexibility. You know, because let's say he's only playing third; he's never played anything at first. He's in Triple A, and there's an injury at the big league level at first base. You know what are you going to do? This way, he, he he has that versatility where he can come up and play either of those spots when his bat is ready and when and when and if there's a more obvious opening. Um, you know the Rockies did that say with Trevor Story, who wasn't even as ballyhooed a prospect, but he played all three infield positions, and you know it just so happened that his natural position of shortstop was where the opening was. When, you know when he, when he got to the big leagues, and so I, I, that's smart, and that's why we have him listed as such. But the, you know the Phillies feel that he's made enough strides where he's going to be able to play third base for a long time. But he's big, um, you know. It doesn't you know it doesn't mean that you can't play third and be big. You know, look at Chris Bryant. But if he starts to slow down a little bit, eventually he may need to move over to first, even if he breaks in at the hot corner. 
There was a, a game earlier this spring training where they actually put out Alec Bohm at third base and then Bryson Stott at shortstop, which people got overly excited about here. <laughs> we um, never do that in Philadelphia. Jeff. Bryson Stott is is your third prospect uh, in your top yeah. thirty. What what have you seen? We talked to Bryson last year, and I I personally was impressed by his makeup. He he just seems like that go getter tough personality that the Philly fans will like, but what did you see out of him talent wise? Yeah, he, you know, he does everything well. He doesn't do anything. Like if you would, if you break down each of his individual tools, none of them like jump out at you. You know, he's not a burner. He doesn't have plus plus power. He may be a plus hitter when all is said and done. That's the one thing is he has really, he does have a really good approach. Um, and he can drive the ball to all fields, and you know he, he's got that sort of. He does fit that advanced college hitter uh, profile while being able to play shortstop, right? So it's it's more the I don't even want to say he's you know the you know more, the whole is better than the sum of the parts kind of thing because that's that that's usually for a guy who is kind of just eh in each individual thing. He's above average in most of those things. Um, it's just that, like, if you look, like I said, if you look, were to look at one specific thing, we would be like, wow, and he's not, you know, Francisco Lindor defensively at shortstop, but he's solid. You know, he can do everything well and will play a premium position, um, you know, if they need to and move him to second or third, say, they decide that uh, shortstop's not going to work out. He, he'd be really, really good at either the probably a plus defender at either of those positions. So um, just a lot to like, and you mentioned the makeup. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, tremendous presence and uh, feel for what he's doing and work ethic and all those things will let him maximize the tools that he has. We have generally been Mickey Moniak defenders here on this show arguing about his youth. Uh, he was a number one pick a few years ago, still only 21. When we interviewed him, Early in the season last year at Reading, he basically told us that he was still actually getting physical growing pains. He's sort of the, one of the more controversial prospects from the fan standpoint because we're not always the most patient. Uh, but he's gotten bigger and stronger since last year. What are your thoughts on on what we expect to see from Mickey Moniak? Yeah, I, I, I so want him to be good, mostly for him. I've had a chance to talk to him for for a few times, you know, a few times over the years, and he's great to talk to. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of pressure when you're the number one overall pick. There's certain expectations that come with it. Um, but, uh, and I really wanted to go see him in the fall league and like be impressed. And he was not good in the fall league. Now that's oh, a small sample size. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, the, you know, sometimes the numbers can be over, you know, overblown in either direction. And sometimes they don't lie. He just did not – he didn't do much. Now, it's possible uh, that he was just out of gas, um, you know, which, you know, he'd had a a full year where he'd had, uh, what, 460-some-odd at-bats in at double, double A. a. Yeah. There were certain things that happened in double A. You know, he started to drive the ball a little bit more. Uh, I know the Phillies loved the way he defended. And, and as you pointed out, he was, what, like three years younger? more than yeah. the average player mm-hmm. in the Eastern League. So, But at the same time, Reading is a really, really good place to hit. So are those were those games real? I think this is going to be a big year for him um, for a whole host of reasons. Uh, you know, 40-man roster reasons uh, show that uh, that the gains he made last year were, were legit. 
that he takes the lessons from the fall even if he didn't put up decent numbers and carries them over to to triple a um you know i i still sort of lean more towards him being a fourth outfielder when all is said and done but the the point that you're making about how young he is there is plenty of time for him to take a leap forward and become you know and become an everyday guy uh you know in center or or maybe in left field but uh, he can certainly defend in, in, in center. So uh, I think he'll be an interesting one to watch because, and, and listen, even if he, listen, he could have a bad year this year, and it doesn't mean that his career is over um, because he'll be in AAA in 22. Um, it's just that he hasn't done the things that are often expected of a number one overall pick. And the biggest thing for him always was that he he's always seemed to lack strength. And so after a couple of years where he still doesn't look like he's impacting the ball, um, then you start to worry that maybe he's just not going to have enough strength to be able to impact the ball enough to be a regular at the big league level. That's why looking to see what he does this year on the heels of what looked like gains in that regard in 2019 will be so important. He also looks significantly larger this spring. Yeah, he, he looked bigger in the fall too, and I'm wondering what you know what he did more. I did not. I was not in Philly's camp, and I haven't seen him, so I'll have to take your word for it. One one of the other uh, prospects that that I thought was interesting in your list was number seven. You had Raphael Marchand, and, and early in spring training, the Phillies were without enough catchers because of injuries and other things. Girardi was raving about his defensive skills, especially his blocking skills. What did you see with Raphael Marchand that got you excited? Yeah, I mean the. Uh, you know he's a plus he's a plus defender with a plus arm uh and that's always been his thing uh and then the bat started to catch up a little bit um there are, there's are some some good skills there uh you know he doesn't strike out a lot uh, a lot of line drives um you know there there's not been any power there but he can drive the ball to the gaps so you know as long as you're okay with a guy who will hit for average with not a lot of power with that defense, then you should be excited about him. I mean, I think he's an everyday catcher just because of those defensive abilities. If he were a complete zero offensively, then you're looking at more of a backup. But I think because of those contact skills and, and he, listen, he's strong. It's not like he, the back gets knocked out of his hands, but you know, there's been, I mean, I don't think he's even hit a professional home run in his career yet. So, uh, granted, he's young, and, you know, and he's still a little ways away. But to not even run into one with the wind blowing out somewhere shows you that <laughs> he's more of a line drive guy. He's no you know, Jalen Ortiz. No, right. You're not gonna. Yeah, if you could somehow combine the two of them offensively, then we've got then something. Then you'd have right. Then you'd have uh, an all star, especially because because of the catching part of it. I'd also be retired. You, you mention <laughs> a lot of different arms and. Look, with Sir Anthony Dominguez, again, having questions about his recovery, um, you know, Adonis Medina, J.J. Romero, Damon Jones, David Parkinson, Connor Siebold, you have them all as an ETA of making it to the majors this season. Uh, do you look at them as starters, long relief guys? What, how do you view some of these arms coming through the system for the Phillies? Right. I think what's going to come down to is it, some of it's on an individual basis, um, you know, and some guys are young enough that if they end up spending a year in, in AAA, uh, so what? It's fine. Uh, but I think what it will come down to, especially because the Phillies are hoping to 
to progress and, and be competitive in the NL East, it's going to be what, what's going to be needed uh, at the big league level. So, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, are more uh, sort of command and feel pitchers. And so, you know, like I don't see Connor Siebel being a reliever, for instance. I think he's a starter. Um, and he was really, he was, he was quite good in, in the, in the fall. Uh, you know, like the stuff was a little bit better and, and things like that. And he's not a stuff guy. Um, David Parkinson, you know, lefty who's more feel than, than stuff. Um, although his velocity was back up by the end of the year. So, I, you know, most of them profile better as starters. Um, but, you know, listen, a guy like Jojo Romero, I think he could pitch out of the pen and pitch well out of the pen. It's, you know, his stuff would tick up a little bit. So it, it'll be up to what the Phillies need at the time, I think. So you might see any of them in, in any number of roles, depending on where the opportunities lie. Well, before we let you go, we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, you've been integral in in following Team Israel, um, and they are about to hopefully, uh, if everything goes right, embark yeah, we'll on. See. Yeah, hopefully they're embarking on on their their second journey, which is uh, uh, to make it to the Olympics. What have you seen out of that team, and and how much fun has it been for you to follow the first journey, which led to which led to a movie heading home, and uh, this the second one heading home too, basically. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's been, it's been an, an incredible ride. Um, and it's funny because my Facebook memories over the last week have all been from that trip to Korea and Japan during the world baseball classic. And that was three years ago, which is crazy wow. for me to, to think of. And then to watch the, the team qualify, uh, for the Olympics. Now I wasn't there in person, uh, but I was that crazy person getting up at three thirty in the morning to watch the live stream. We were too. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and I, and then I was doing it and I was actually in Arizona. I guess that was for fall. When was that? Like I, I've, I've lost track of time. Fall league. It must've been in the fall. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking that I have not felt like that, like as a fan rooting for a group or a team, in a really long time, you know, some of it's an occupational hazard, but it, uh, it was so much fun to watch them qualify. I hope that we're past uh, the current situation enough where the Olympics can go on as planned, uh, because I would love to be able to, to watch them compete. And, you know, hopefully there will be uh, a sequel. There was a crew, uh, that went with a lot of the group when they were in Israel getting their citizenship. And uh, we have some footage of when they won it, uh, when they when they qualified in Europe. So, you know, the idea would be to to, to have some sort of follow up film. But right now, like for all of us, we're kind of in that holding wait and see pattern. Well, we uh, wish you all health now that you're back home. Hope you get a little Thank you. break from everything and appreciate the time you give us. Come on. We look forward to following your stuff. Uh, hope we, we can get back to the sports world soon. You know how to find me. Thanks so much. You have a great one. You too. Bye-bye. Jeff, uh, crazy time. <laughs> yeah, you, know, but- you want to talk about a range of emotions. He goes to Hope Springs Eternal, and now he's trying to like build it back, and we're trying to focus on that. Yeah. That's got to be a challenge. I mean, it, it, look, it's going to be hard for everyone, um, but but the fact is, is I think our job right now is, is to kind of take people's mind off of it if we can, and baseball is 
You know, I so desperately want to see. Can I, can I cry see... that he didn't like say something good about Mickey Moniak? We've spent what? so much time defending Mickey Moniak. Look, he, am he, I just he, hopeful that he's not? No, and, and look, or... he, he he did have the caveat. Which part of the caveat is is you know the Arizona Fall League after he Moniak played a full season at Double A, uh, he might have gotten to the point that he was tired. You know, at some point at the end of the season, your body needs to recover. So. I'm not going to make excuses for a poor performance in in the Arizona Fall League, but what we saw at Double A was impressive, and what we've and and as he pointed out, we're not talking about someone that was a couple months younger than the average player in Double A. He was three years younger than the average player in Double A. That that's significantly younger. Well, we will have so, plenty to talk about with more Phillies prospects. I always enjoy his. I know. I, I could I could have spent the whole hour. With I know. Him. I, I mean, had there, to, we I had, had to cut so you much off. stuff about. I mean, Jalen Ortiz. We we've oh, talked to. The, he's a he's a monster. He the, is a the monster. I just is, want to know where he fits on this he team. Ju- he just can't strike out three hundred times a year. <laughs> well, other baseball players <laughs> do it. So, so I guess nowadays it does. Work. Let's go back to setting you. Like, off. do you think Dave Kingman would be a Hall of Famer if he played today? He'd just be a DH. And no, but he, f- he would fit in. Yeah. He was home runs and strikeouts. Yeah. yeah. But he would hit into the shift a lot, too. You That would bother you. <laughs> that would bother you Not a lot. Not with him, because he's a... Let's, uh, let's go back to your... Um, <laughs> thank you. Little... March Madness oh, that we God. will not hear. Yeah. Uh-huh. But we may get brackets, like I was saying. We may still what, get what, a field of 68. Why don't you just poke the bear? So I mean, like, what's the I point of this? I know that Rutgers made the tournament. Okay. Are you happy? It is, no, I'm not happy. Oh, stop it's, with the is, music. There's no tournament, is, so it's just stop. Look, I was telling you. How ridiculous. Seeing, it's, I, I know that you have not seen Rutgers in a tournament game in, in my your lifetime. entire life. My lifetime. We're not all Michigan, but okay? Are, we but don't okay, all get so this next all the year, time. Next year, chances are you and I will go to a game at the Rack. Are they putting up a banner saying they made the tournament that no, didn't exist? No, but at least give me the moment of joy that they made it, Jeff. Where's your joy? Are you happy right now? No, it's the ultimate. So then what was the point? You just the, said you so wanted your moment of joy. When you go to Rutgers. You said it's when no you good. go to Rutgers and things go wrong at Rutgers, they call it the RU screw. <laughs> right. This is the ultimate RU screw. They are finally oh, yeah, good enough to make the tournament. Rutgers. No, they they're finally come up. We're trying. If right. we're not going to talk about health and yeah. we're just going to focus on sports, right. I'm going to take the seriousness out of it. Okay. My team finally is good enough to make the tournament. You don't know and that. I still won't get. If to they would have lost as expected to Michigan in the first, in the I first still think round, they would have made it. They'd have been twenty and twelve. Nah. At the very least, they're no, in the playoff. It's part of games. the RU screw that you're talking no, about. No, come it on. Been, it would have been do, perfect. Do not take this joy away from me. But how stupid is this that they're doing this? Do not. So take what is it? They're literally going to come out with a bracket. Yes. For what reason? To make me feel good. For something that they've <laughs> already canceled the tournament. So, so does that mean the teams that that didn't make it or the first four out is Joe Lenardi going to come on just and a piece talk of about paper. it? Why are you losing your mind? Like it, they're giving them a trophy for making the tournament because it makes no sense. They did actually hand uh, the ACC team the championship trophy after who? not playing a game. Who? Which team? Uh, I forget who won it. Was it Florida State that won that? One they the, gave them a trophy. Yes, the the really? conference just championship. Just because they didn't want to carry it back themselves. The, the I mean, like, what was the reason for tourney. it? After the the conference was tourney was was canceled. After the two lowest the, seeded teams won one, that was when they decided to give the trophy to that team. To the team that won the conference. I'm telling yes, you, they I just did it because they didn't want to carry it. Have you There's turned no, off your TV so you don't have to see any of this right no. now? Well, <laughs> it was also brought to my attention that beforehand <laughs> that the NCAA also considered that maybe the good idea would have a sixteen team tournament instead of a 68 team tournament yeah that wouldn't have worked what would have been the point if people are there people are there ratings jeff ratings <laughs> <laughs> I, I i really in a 
I'm just lost at the lack I may, of logic. I between, may make your like, head explode in this show. It's, sometimes things just bring out the best in people, which we've seen a lot of this. Like you talked to me beforehand about Giannis giving a hundred, donated a hundred thousand dollars to the employees. So did Kevin Love right. donating. And Mark then, Cuban and, says and the employees. And then for some, gonna be it brings out the dumbest in people, <laughs> and the NCAA always seems to fall on. The dumbest. Well, if people. you're going to be critical, the NCAA was the last league to make any decision and put their players on the court and then pulled them off mid-game. And here's what's the most amazing <laughs> about that: the guys who get paid and the women who get paid in professional sports, they canceled it. But the the kids who don't get paid, they want them to go do you out. Give there. the NBA kudos for being the leader and making that tough decision. They weren't mandated no. to do it. No, there was I don't. recommendations to do. No, things. I don't. Because because you don't think that was the first domino that fell that other people then had to cover I, to make I what th- the. Right I agree with was. you. It was the chronologically it was the first domino to fall, but it fell because they were going to continue to play. Okay, so you until think they one did the player right thing for the wrong was reason. diagnosed with having it, so they did the right thing for the wrong reason. Like they weren't no, going think, to do I the think, right thing. I think it was no. I actually I I think that everybody has tried this is this is something that we have not seen in our lifetimes there is no playbook for this so and people are moving at at light speed to try to get this done so i i it's a learning thing so i don't blame anybody but i also don't pat the nba on the back saying that they were the first one because they were the first one because they had diagnosed players which was going to create havoc because now players that that Gobert and the Utah Jazz played against all now they were all exposed and and if they continued to play then they would be exposing the rest and it would be very well that that sort of happened with the Pistons then playing the Sixers right. so you sort of got that yeah uh, we'll leave the health side of that there because we're going to try not to get there uh, Jeff I'm going to skip the break because we had our sit down the other day with Union coach Jim Curtin. You got to talk to the captain of the union as well. We've got and, some and, audio from there. And you got right. a little exercise. All right. Because- so <laughs> Mike Vito behind the glass does not know about this. Um, we we <laughs> look at you. You're looking you're looking for like a little football intro. You could you can shut that off. It's okay. Um, this is this is my hurdling. So Jeff did not tell me when we were doing the interview with Jim Curtin. He told so, me he saw So we were g- going to play Chariots of Fire for you. And that didn't <laughs> that didn't work out. Uh, but that's okay. So <laughs> I um you know my I had my baby the baby yeah, last week. My right. wife did and so we have all kinds of different appointments and right. so I, I had to be at something and you took the equipment to go record with Jim Curtin uh-huh. and if I could get out I was going to go get there. Yes. So I, I was able to get out and I was on my way and you start <laughs> texting me when I'm at the bridge. That you're about to get started. Where am I'm I? I'm entitled to amuse now, myself I did in not, these difficult times. For law enforcement, I did not reply <laughs> by text, but I did talk to text that I was on my way, that uh-huh. I was there. Jeff texted that I needed to run Rudolph Run as yep. I parked at the stadium. So I what said, did you I better do? Book a run I, Rudolph Run. Jeff is trying to find out if there's video outside the stadium and if because I, find I it, it will parked be on the wrong viral. side of the stadium. I ran halfway around the stadium <laughs> holding my pants up by the belt so that they didn't fall down because I had my phone in. I had all the other equipment and in. thank you for that. And then yes. I got to a gate that was locked. <laughs> and so what did I do? I decided to climb over said gate, which was a much better idea from the ground right. and, than and it was who, at top. And who wouldn't want to have seen that? So Jeff is hoping that there is video of my little American Gladiators expedition around <laughs> the Union Stadium, Subaru Park. There's a little advertising for them. Yep. But I did make it in time. 
I missed your interview with Bedoya that we'll get to in a minute after we get yeah, you. Yeah, you know how Blake Griffin at the All Star game a couple of years ago jumped over a Kia? Not me. You were gonna jump over Subaru. I Park. couldn't jump over the tire on uh-huh. the Kia, okay? Let's be honest about this. You've seen me try out for a basketball team. Let's go to but, our But you did make it. I did make it. You we were s- huffing and you were puffing. He gave me a so. uh, Coach Curtin gave me a second to breathe. I thought he was gonna put a heart <laughs> monitor on me like he does with the team. They could have tracked how much running I did around the stadium. They could. Which by the way was impressive when he said that Brendan Aronson ran over 13 kilometers in the game last week. Why don't we get into that with our interview with Jim Curtin right now? Here with Philadelphia Union coach Jim Curtin. Coach, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's always an exciting time of year as the season gets going. You've got two games under your belt. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about your thoughts going into the season and the first two games, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, obviously we had uh, a special year last year. Uh, achieved a lot of uh, new records for the club in terms of you know points uh, won, goals scored, uh, you know, and, and our first playoff uh, victory. Um, so. Uh, I think left a good taste in the fans' mouth uh, last year. Uh, now look forward to our home opener here uh, at Subaru Park. Uh, really can't wait to get started. Um, two games in so far, we knew it would be a tough tough task on the road, uh, but had a really good uh, test against LAFC where our, our players uh, went toe-to-toe with the best team in our league and, and did a great job. So um, we come into the home opener with a lot of confidence, a really exciting young team um, with some homegrown players that are doing really well. Uh, our experienced guys are, are kind of leading us by example and um, really look forward to big expectations in 2020. In 2019, you had a playoff victory. Yeah. Before you turn the page and get to 2020, did you have time to soak it in and, and appreciate the accomplishments and just kind of sit back and go through the season? You know, it's a great question. More so than ever, I, I did. You know, a lot of times the, the off season can be um, chaotic and, and you're, you're always thinking, what you could have done better could we have made a, a, a transaction a trade or whatever uh, during the course of the year that would have improved us um, and it, it, it didn't you don't really get time to reflect and, and kind of pause uh, this offseason for the first time uh, obviously probably because of the the amount of success we had it, it was more uh, stable and, and relaxed and things fell in place we liked the core group of players that we had so there wasn't a ton of changes we needed to make um, and you got you know some more quality time with the fans family was definitely spent and then little things like vacation and just normal life you know felt um felt a little bit better and and i think that just came with the stability and the success of the year so you you felt good about the product that we put on the field um you obviously still want to improve it always uh, as a coach uh, but at the same time it was uh, uh an off season that um i think everybody in the club could be proud of our fans could be proud of and as a head coach i was i was proud of and we know from our previous conversations with you you are a family man yeah. you're, you're a local guy what is the offseason like for you obviously you know you get back to it but do you take some time away with the family yeah. do you decompress a little bit and I think you have to I think you have to recharge the batteries for sure because we kind of once the season starts you're going pretty hard for nine plus months uh, and then you have uh, a little bit of downtime and it's always during the holidays uh, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas are big holidays in my family and my wife's family so um, you do get to spend a lot of times with aunts uncles and cousins and uh, create a lot of great memories um, we do carve out always a uh, a good trip uh, for uh, the kids and, and my wife. And um, this this off season, we, we we love the national park, so we kind of cruise around all of them. Um, we went to uh, Death Valley, uh, swung by Joshua Tree, and then ended in Hermosa Beach, um, where we uh, we lived for two and a half years when I was a player at, at Chivas.
Chivas USA. So um, always cool to obviously explore the national parks, but then ended on the beach uh, with the family and some nice weather. So uh, great experience, uh, creating memories with the kids, um, but also uh, uh, a special place in Hermosa Beach where um, you know my, my fir- first daughter was uh, was raised. Uh, she, she left at age two, but uh, she still has a little California in her blood. <laughs> in addition to uh, working on soccer and traveling, uh, some of us got to see you at a Sixers game, tossing T-shirts. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so the question is, did you play baseball too? I, I could I could throw a little bit, but yeah, no, uh, that was a, a, a good one. Where um, gosh, uh, this this off season again, you talk about having a, a nice off season. I I got to ring the bell at a Sixers game, and then obviously to be on the court, uh, you know, supporting one of my my favorite hometown teams uh, as the T-shirt thrower uh, was was cool. Um, you know, gone are the the Charles Barkley days that I I remember growing up. Uh, it's a really exciting young team that they have on the court now um, with Joel Embiid. So it's a fun group to cheer for, and uh, yeah, I love love getting out to Sixers games. That's so, for sure. So so as somebody that grew up around here, what's it like to go out and ring the bell? The bell was I, I said to anyone that would listen, it was the most nervous I've been. I mean, I've played in a lot of big games as a professional athlete, but ringing the bell was it was uh, surreal, you know. Uh, to give a little perspective, it goes pitch black. You have three people telling you what to do. You have a mascot in your face, uh, and then and you have a guy telling you they're going to tap you on the leg three times, and you have to hit right on the X on the bell, and you're, you're panicked. There's seven footers all around you, and it's pitch black, and there's fire going off. Uh, it was a, a wild experience, but uh, I was nervous I was going to hit it too hard, and there'd be like a recoil, and I drop the hammer or get booed or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but no, it was uh, it was cool and. Uh, uh, again, it's a, a pretty cool tradition that they have down there at the Sixers game, and to be part of it was something that I'll never forget. You're definitely a guy that studies everything. Uh, if you look back on your last season as a coach, what did you learn about yourself and as a coach that you think will help you going forward? Yeah, I think every year you, you learn new things. Um, and, and we played in, let's be honest, bigger games. You know, we played in a, a playoff game and won. Uh, so now what you do uh, in the, the, the most pressure filled moments uh, until you go through those I think you, you don't know how you're going to react and I thought I did some really good things in the New York uh, Red Bull game um, some things I'd like back in the Atlanta game that we lost so uh, as we went further than we ever did uh, I had new experiences my players had new experiences so I think you grow from them and if you're a coach that um, kind of stays in the old school and doesn't adapt and, and kind of grow with the game um, you know if you don't evolve and, and aren't innovative and, and progressive you kind of die out so um, I'm trying to do little things to to fit in with the younger players I mean I'm I'm still a younger coach at 40 but uh, at the same time uh, finding ways to adapt to how they learn uh, what what clicks with them you have to have little individual relationships with each of them I think that's really important as a coach so I'm open and organic and kind of growing as I as I go through this as well and I'm I'm taking my experiences each year and and learning from them but certainly learned a ton last year uh, about myself about my team and uh about how uh maybe little things you can do differently the next time in your adaptations what what is one of the things that you've already started to implement this year that you wish you had done last year yeah look i i've you know i i've taken uh this is going to sound like becoming less of a coach but i'm trying to become better at at delegation you know it's something that as the leader uh of 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 a group you you 
you have you know five different departments the sports performance departments the nutrition department a, a strength department uh, and trying to be super hands-on with everything um, it's not productive um, I think you have to trust uh, your employees around you to do their job and, and get better at I think I've improved at, at delegating and just giving a, a task and, and saying you're here for a reason I trust you own it you know and I think that really empowers people also so my job is not only to create good players but I want my coaching staff uh, and, and people in each department to, to move to the highest level that they can possibly go to and reach their full potential so um, yeah, I, I think that that might sound counterintuitive that I'm getting better at just doing less <laughs> which I don't which, which may sound crazy but I think it, it really um, it makes you grow as a coach and it, it makes you more of a, a manager and, and not always thinking you have all the answers but also empowering others because at the end of the day one thing I also learned is sometimes you don't like to admit it but they do it a lot better than you did you know whether it was a possession exercise or um, they have a new idea for what might work in the locker room with the players and and even down to different rules and with cell phones in the locker room you know these are things that maybe open my eyes and and I step back and I take advice from others and I say you know what that's a great idea I'm just going to be quiet and get out of the way and let you run with it so um, I think that delegation is uh, is important for any uh, leader in any line of work um, and it's something that I'm not perfect at but I think I'm I'm getting better at you have a lot of young stars on this team yeah. or growing stars also Casper uh-huh how does Casper go from here how does he improve yeah so last year uh, he really broke out he caught people off guard um, he's going to be a marked man now you know the word is out that he's a top striker in our league so it becomes now hard harder for him um, you have to find new ways to to attack your opponents uh, it's not easy um, but you know it's the hardest thing to do in our sport is to score goals and he has a, a unique knack for doing it um, so um, you know I think he just has to be Casper uh, I think the players around him maybe have to give him more service and we have to find ways to find weaknesses in the opponents uh, but Casper in terms of how hard he works uh, he's a good person you know he comes to work with a smile and he comes to work trying to improve every day uh, I'm fully confident he's going to continue his success and continue to score goals for the union the other one is Brendan Aronson who's yeah. a local product yeah uh, you talked in your presser about uh, the number of kilometers that Brendan yeah. ran around yeah um, how does he do that and how do you keep him fresh when he's running 13 kilometers in a match yeah it's it's crazy uh, for a teenager to be doing what he's doing on the field uh, and off the field because he carries himself uh, pretty well uh, I, I've been around lucky enough to have been around Brendan coaching him since he was 10 years old and, and seen him come through the academy um, but to see his development and growth is something that's uh, truly remarkable um, he goes away now to represent the United States in the Olympics which is another great honor so um, it never stops you know he, he's always constantly trying to get better and better each and every day um, but in, in terms of keeping that freshness it's it's not just the coach that's helping him out he has has to eat right uh, he has to sleep right recovery has become so critical in our game and in, in, in being able to um, get the proper amount of sleep to recharge the batteries to be able to do it again um, because our sport's so physically demanding and he's he's covering he almost I mean compared to the average player in this game he covered almost two and a half to three kilometers more than them so he's actually 
actually uh, out producing guys that are five, six, seven, eight years older than him uh, and, and doing it um, while also scoring goals in the game. So he's a, a real special talent and one that I'm happy to have with the Philadelphia Union. For fans who are getting more into soccer and uh-huh. aren't familiar with players leaving midseason yeah. to go for international team or for the Olympics, can you talk about both the impact on the team but the importance for players like Brendan Aronson and McKenzie and, yeah. and Matt Freeze getting a call up for international and things like that on the team? Yeah, it's it, the easiest way I can put it um, is our sport's unique in that and our league is actually unique in that when our national teams play, uh, our league continues. Um, so, you know, oftentimes you'll see uh, maybe in the Olympics, uh, the NBA is in their off season, or there's a competition where now the, the best NBA players can go to because their league is actually done. Same with hockey and, and different things like that. Where ours, our league still operates during the, they're called international windows. So uh, if you can picture in our sport, the ultimate is to play for your national team. That's the ultimate honor. Um, and it's the highest level of soccer to represent your country um, so our league unfortunately continues during those moments so you have to have a, a deep team you have to have a, a lot of uh, players that uh, you know can go on and obviously you want talent you want them to go play for the national team but you also want to have enough guys back here that aren't aren't national team caliber players so it's a real balancing act um, and for them to go and, and represent their country is, is special um, it does hurt us because we lose some of our best players in certain certain moments of the season um, but at the end of the day um, we want them to go play for their country it, it, it bodes well and, and, and sheds a good light on the Philadelphia Union uh, you know when, when he's scoring goals for the United States they'll always say Brendan Aronson the, from the Philadelphia Union you know and that's a powerful thing for us can you talk about some of the new faces you talk about the depth uh, some of the players that are in here that weren't here last year that fans may not be as familiar with yet as the season starts yeah I think um, well there they're familiar with a couple now because of the great performance they had in the game against LAFC, but Jacob Glesnes comes to us from Norway. Uh, I think we're up to 13 countries represented, so we have a pretty diverse group. Uh, he, he's from Norway, uh, a, a really good young center back um, that brings some composure with the ball and is a really tough 1v1 defender. Uh, Jose Martinez, uh, who is a Venezuelan player, um, is, is working on his English, uh, so again, we, we haven't even hit our true stride and being able to fully communicate perfectly with him but um, you know he has done a great job from Venezuela uh, and, and came in and played his first game against LAFC and I think his head was spinning um, 100 miles an hour but he really held up and did a great job for us so um, there's two right off the top of my head that have, have come in and done well um, we have new homegrown players in Cole Turner and Jack DeVries uh, that'll uh, when the time is right impact and, and, and be in with the first team playing uh, in, in real MLS games um, right now they're, they're with our Union 2 team and doing well there Um, but each and every day uh, a new young player kind of pops for us Um, Matt Real is doing well as a starter now he's been with us for a little while now but his his moment has come so uh, it's an exciting young group uh, and and a a really fun team to watch you know you talked a little bit about the development of players like Brendan that you you've coached him in some capacity since he was 10 yeah did you see that kind of talent when he was 10 years old yeah so you can see talent at that Mm -hmm. age um, but I'd be very 
wary of anyone who tells you they can guarantee you that a kid's going to be a pro athlete at at eight or nine or ten years old um it, it's an unfair pressure to put on a kid first and foremost but um there's still so many things in their development that they have to to go through um to to make an assessment that young but certainly you could see with brendan um and you can actually see from his little brother paxton who's also really good right now um uh, it does pop it jumps off the screen the the, the talent that, that you see um, but the guarantee uh, that they're going to be pros is is unfair to the sport. It's almost disrespectful to the sport because it's so hard to make it, and you need timing, and you need luck, and you need the to get in the right environment. Um, you know, with uh, different people that that give you a shot on the field. So a lot has to go your way, uh, and I've seen it, and it's a cliche, but uh, you know, there's nothing worse in life than wasted talent. I've seen a lot of young, talented players that don't make it. You know, the the best kids when I was 15, 16, 17 years years old aren't necessarily the ones that go on to have great careers. They had great talent, but maybe they get burnt out. Uh, maybe they discover some things off the field that maybe weren't good decisions. Um, they meet girls. You know, different things go on that they have to adjust and, and grow to, and everyone responds differently to it um, at, at very young ages. So that's why I'm very hesitant to, you know, say I knew he was going to be a pro at, you know, age, because that's a, it's, a, it's unfair, and that's usually not the case. Well, th this Saturday brings you another opening home game. Uh -huh. Do you still get butterflies going out to that first home game? Absolutely. Especially here. Yeah, if you don't, I think you're it's time to quit if you don't you know I, I don't think uh, I, I'll ever have a moment where I'm not nervous and, and, and feeling those They're, I will say they are different uh, from player to coach player I was a mess I was always I was on bordering on throwing up before every game I just would put myself through so much stress and I didn't want to let my teammates down um, I still want to win more than ever but it's it's uh, it's just a different feeling it's less in your control you prepare them the best you can all week uh, but then when that opening whistle goes you know there's minimal things you can do to really change the game you can't help them anymore you know so um, it's a different kind of nerves um, but certainly yeah when when um, the music hits and, and you walk out that tunnel and you can hear the metal cleats hitting the cement you know it's it's time and it's a uh, it's no better better feeling in the world than, than walking out there to a, a group of fans that are going crazy cheering you on um, it's something I wish everybody could experience and feel um, because it is really special I was going to ask you about the fans you know we yeah. are here for that Red Bull game yeah wild this one. place <laughs> was insane yeah. and the excitement with Subaru as yeah. the sponsor for the park now yeah. and new video board up there yeah. new players on the team what are you expecting on Saturday night here yeah I mean look like you said it was a great offseason for us both on the field and off the field you know the improvements that they've made to the club to the stadium to the facilities uh, they're, they're being seen it's, it's going to be awesome to have Subaru on board um, and I, I think like you said uh, you can feel the energy in this place whether it's uh, torrential downpour like it was against Red Bull it doesn't matter uh, once you're in this building uh, there's something that that's special and, and and only the people that are here get to feel it so I'd encourage even new fans to come down and, and try it out um, I think there's no better live experience than a, a Philadelphia Union game and, and certainly winning helps that you know uh, I've, I've said it now uh, a lot of times our philosophy is maybe different than others and we want to build through our academy um, but the only thing that allows us to go through our 
our, our process, you know, whether it's a one-year plan, a short-term plan, a, a mid-term plan, or a long-term plan is, is winning. You know, we have to win on the field because um, that puts equity in, in the fan base, that puts equity in uh, in our ownership and what we're doing. And, and there's a belief right now, and I think it's the most positive uh, things have ever been around this club, um, and we don't want to let that go. Now, speaking of the positivity, I was talking to uh, Bedoya beforehand, and, and, and he, w- he seemed excited about yeah. the level of pressing that you guys were doing in yeah. the first two games. Is that something that you're consciously trying to do more of? Yeah, we, we want to be a team that's known uh, win, lose, or draw that we go after. We don't want to take any risk. Uh, we want to, or sorry, we don't want to not take risk. We want to be brave. We want to defend forward, and we, we don't want to have any regrets, you know, so um, that suits young players, too. Uh, Ali's our experienced guy, and he's our, our captain and our leader, um, but he's unique in that no matter how old Ali Bedoya ever gets, I think he'll still run the same amount and cover the same amount of ground and play with the same amount of passion. So um, he's a good one to, to lead. Um, so, yeah, we, we want to be a team that really uh, is emblematic of the city, that, that we don't back down from anybody. You might beat us on the day, but you're going to know you played against us. <laughs> and it was tough. So that's kind of our, our mindset and our mentality. And uh, certainly at home, um, you're going to see us high-press teams and, and make it as un- uncomfortable as possible. Well, thanks for joining us, Coach. We appreciate it, and good luck on Saturday. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. Great, great talking to you. Jeff, we're we're not gonna we're gonna we'll hold Bedoya's interview till next week. Obviously, we did this interview with Jim Curtin before MLS decided to suspend the season. Yeah, we did it Wednesday. The opening yep. thirty days, so you know that excitement will be there for when they get to open Subaru Park, and we'll play your comments with Bedoya on next week's by the show. Way, by the way, was were were not the changes impressive? They got they got the stadium looks awesome. Big scoreboard. Yeah, they got Subaru all over the place. The stadium like took a level. And by the way, the pitch looks really nice i love that you're calling it a pitch now you really are a soccer fan what can i tell you you really are i'm so proud of you jeff uh something that wasn't quite as good this week um the u.s women's team uh still in court trying to get equal pay and just uh, to be clear we don't think they're bad we think that the 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 person that's running the the u.s soccer is um, clueless right so U.S. Soccer argued in a filing in court documents that the job of a men's team player carries more responsibility within the federation than the job Why? of a women's team. Why? Player. Tell me the reason. I don't now, know. Now, as, as an attorney, I want to hear what the intelligent reason for I is. I actually believe that they referred to the crowds that they play in front of, which I thought was kind of ridiculous because the women play in front of bigger crowds yeah, and, than the and men. And by the way, I believe we were both at an event in Philadelphia that was, I think, about 50-plus thousand people yeah. for, for a friendly match that was part of their tour after they won. So it led to the president of the U.S. Soccer Federation, Carlos Cordero, actually yeah. stepping down. And so now Good. Um, Cordero's vice president, Cindy Cohn, who used to play on the women's team, was in the 99 I bet you she doesn't say that. She was not satisfied with the comments that were made about that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't understand. I get that they don't want to pay them the same amount, which I still don't get why. Because it, I don't understand how the women don't bring in They're more revenue. They're going to spend more money in legal things. That's what I don't get. Aren't okay. they wasting more money? I don't get it. I, on, I, I on really this don't. Foolish strategy where they just look sexist and misogynistic with the language they use with every file. I really don't understand the point. Look, they both have missions, and the mission is to grow soccer in this country. And right now, I'm not saying it's always going to be this way. Right now, the growth of soccer internationally is because of the women's team and what they've done. The men haven't really accomplished much. Not to say they're not going to. I mean, look, we're, we're lucky enough that we get to see some of the guys that are going to be on the U.S. that are, are on the U.S. men's national team right now, and 
Brendan Aronson, who's a local kid for Medford, Mark McKenzie, Matt Freeze. These are all guys on the union, that, and, and there are guys all over this country that have, you know, kind of been homegrown. Look, we talked to Jim Curtin about— He gets the, all excited about Aronson's uh, younger uh, brother. Uh, yeah, about, about <laughs> Paxton, gets, I believe his name is. He gets very excited yeah, so, about him. So th- there is a future for U.S. men's national team, but right now, and for the, the foreseeable past, or uh, that's not a phrase, but— you get the idea. Is that a legal term? No. It, it, it was just stupid. <laughs> so I just admit it. But the, but the fact is, is for the last decade or two decades, women's, women's soccer. soccer has been everything as far as raising uh, the profile of soccer in America and, and, and grooming a bunch of, of young boys and girls to look up to these women. I hope this change leads to the end of this nonsense and they just figure out how to Man, pay I hope so. Um, because people are now just sponsoring the women team directly rather than going to the Federation because right. they don't believe in the Federation. Mm-hmm. Did want to talk to you. We, we talked about the canceling of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, the eligibility for some of these players, because it's not just the NCAA tournament. The College World Series is canceled. Other spring sports are canceled. These campuses are closing. Um, it looks like the NCAA is going to give an extra year of eligibility to the spring sports. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the winter sports yet, but players that participate in spring sports will get an extra year of eligibility should they decide not to turn Tell me pro. what the harm would be. So, so there's always, when I make an argument in court, there's two things that you do. What's the benefit well, and what's the harm? The benefit is giving these kids the, the opportunity that's been taken away from them through nobody else's fault. The harm is what? Anonymously, an athletic director at a Group 5 program said his university couldn't afford it. That's nonsense. Um, I don't buy it. In many cases, you'd end up basically with a a 20-person basketball roster. There may be Title IX considerations for some of these teams where you keep more men. I understand. I'm just telling you. I tried to do some research as to why somebody would be opposed to it. Mm -hmm. And those are the arguments that you see pushed. And out I'm there. telling I don't you, agree with here, them. Here's the deal: the NCAA has enough money in their coffers that they could take care of this for one year to make it right for these students who, most of them, will never play their sport ever again, right? Most of them are not going on to professional careers. What's the impact of recruiting right now. Can't oh, who cares? Recruit at all? So you can't recruit at all. But, uh, but to bigger players, schools, it doesn't mean but anything. But like, what about these players that you know, baseball? They're going to go pro. They're followed in the World Series. You know, it's just the ripple effects of this. I mean, we didn't. Even yeah, get the into baseball the, season is early on too. The college baseball season doesn't get going until about a month ago. And yeah. for the northern schools, they don't play a lot of home games until about now. I mean, we'll keep talking about this all going forward. There's mm-hmm. the economic impact. We got another pack show next week. You want to preview what we got going on in the no, last few seconds? I think I think that we should keep it as a surprise. You gonna keep it a surprise? Yeah. Any final thoughts this week before we head off the air? Just everybody out there, stay safe and, and find some way to take your mind off of it. Just let, for a couple minutes. Let the genius Jeff entertain you. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make Where sure to join us next from? Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.